Hello and welcome to the REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borg from Quito. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Morris, a nationally recognized REIT expert and adjunct professor in Georgetown University's Masters in Real Estate program. Jonathan has extensive direct experience in the REIT industry and is talking to us today about how he wants to further expand knowledge of the REIT industry. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here, Sarah. So, first of all, can you give our listeners a broad overview of your involvement in the REIT industry? Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, one, one of the things I want to underscore is that I started this journey in 1991. And uh, as you know, uh, REITs were formed back in 1960 by legislation that Congress passed to create a structure that would allow everyday citizens to invest in large-scale real estate projects. Prior to that, they didn't have a way to do that because it was a very uh, expensive proposition. So that allowed everyday citizens to uh, buy into large projects through the purchase of stock in REITs. In 1991, uh, for those that recall, the commercial real estate industry was in a uh, a tough place. Uh, the over-exuberance of the 1980s, the over-leveraging, and the passage of the 1986 Tax Act uh, extended out the time period that depreciation could be taken. All of this combined created a universe of overbuilding, and by 1990, the music had stopped, and there were not enough chairs for all the participants. So the investment bankers, primarily Goldman and Merrill, uh, dusted off the REIT playbook and said, you know, if we create equity REITs around these storied companies, for the most part, I think we can make a go of this. So lo and behold, 1991, Kimco launched their IPO and applause went up everywhere. But the, the model didn't work for most companies. And it's complicated as to why. But in 1992, the Taubman uh, company got approval for what's called an upreit, and the upreit opened the doors to um, to companies being able to create these entities in a much easier fashion. So in 1991, I joined the Charles E. Smith companies, a, a very large private company in the Washington metro, and we converted to a REIT in 93 with an IPO of 19, uh, in 1994. I ran the acquisitions group uh, post-IPO and acquired a little over 2,000 apartment units in a three or four-year period of time. I was recruited by Boston Properties. Their IPO was 1997, and I was uh, director of acquisitions and went out and acquired Class A, well-located, fairly fully leased office assets. Many of these transactions were through what's called the Operating Partnership Unit Exchange, wherein we exchanged equity to the seller for their asset. Hence, they didn't get cash, so the transaction to them was tax deferred. I also started a private investment platform with sponsored by Learner Enterprises here in the Washington Metro. So I had seven years of, of working through uh, transactions on the private side. So my comparison and contrast to both public and private is rooted in actually doing it. Uh, in 2010, the then dean of the uh, program at Georgetown called and wanted a reclass. I said no. And then he called again. I said no. And the third time was the charm. I taught my first class from 8 p.m. to uh, 11 p.m. on campus, and I was hooked. So ever since then, I've been part and parcel of the industry. I debate various reports with lots of uh, authors. I'm friends with the folks at Green Street, and I thoroughly enjoy it. 
Great. And now you've recently launched an education platform called Read Academy. Can you talk about why you set about doing this, um, the need it fills and its target audience? Happy to. So I've been teaching at Georgetown. This is my 11th year. And I teach at night. Uh, my students work full time during the day. Over the past two years, I get the photo roster a month before class starts. And for the last five or six classes, I've looked at the photo roster and I see a handful of of students that are a little bit outside the typical graduate student age range. Now, I, I get to know students very well individually. So as we progress and I end up talking to students one-on-one, I've learned that several students have taken my class not necessarily on a degree track, but they wanted to get a deep dive into the whole spectrum of the REIT industry and understand how the UPREIT works, how the strategy of a REIT is formed, whether it is executed uh, properly or not, and how the market views any one of these companies. A year ago, a couple of these students came to me and said, you really ought to bring this out and offer it to directors of REITs that don't come from the real estate industry, maybe some senior executives that are onboarding at REITs that don't come from the real estate industry or the REIT industry. And so we launched it. And I, I can tell you, it's taken an enormous amount of time a lot of hard work from a lot of people. Uh, I have an advisory board and they're all in the universe and it's, they've been very, very helpful. So this is, in my opinion, this is unique. It's new and it will give a student in eight weeks time pretty much everything you need to know to be able to understand any given REIT and come to your own conclusion using the tools that you'll, you'll learn here as to you know how to assess how to value the company and for uh, for example for registered investment advisors and and others you can compare a REIT against another REIT if you're looking for yield but you need safe yield you'll be able to for example look at the dividend payout ratio look at where their earnings come from Sarah it's a lot of minutia but I walk through it very slowly at the whiteboard and, you know, I, I take many pauses to take questions. But after two or three classes, we're beginning to roll pretty well. And it's the first basically two classes that are the details. But again, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. So I make sure as many students as possible are getting it. Now, uh, we, we've got an eight week program, but every other Saturday morning, I'm going to do a makeup session just in case somebody doesn't get it, doesn't want to raise their hand. And, you know, Saturday morning is more or less a free-for-all. You know, bring questions, bring concerns, bring the quote, I don't get it, help me, and I'll be there to do that. So what would you say are some of the biggest misperceptions about REITs among the investing public? Again, in the old days, REITs were sort of amalgamated into one bucket. So you take your classic example of the cocktail party and somebody saying, well, I just bought IBM or I just bought General Motors. And somebody says, I bought REITs. A friend would come over and say, REITs, I've heard about them. You like REITs? Yeah, I like REITs. So, you know, it wasn't by company name, by company ticker symbol, nor by sector. As time went on, REITs became segmented in what is called sectors. So in the old days, we had the traditional sectors of uh, hotels, office, uh, apartments, retail shopping centers, and even malls. And you can invest in each of those companies based upon your particular investment objectives. And hopefully you would read a, a solid analyst report on the company and make your decision at that point. The misperception 
is that because the company's stock is repriced multiple times during the day, does that mean the portfolio value is going up and down on a daily basis? And the, the, the answer is no. So from one day to the next, the company owns the same exact assets with the same exact debt with the same exact tenants, but the stock market may go up 500 points and their stock may go up or it may go down 500 points and it may go down. So the misperception is that there is a mark-to-market value of a company's portfolio by virtue of the stock price. And that's just not the case. The reason that one of the biggest benefits of a REIT is that it is a stock. So you have tremendous liquidity. You don't have that liquidity in private investments. So if you invest $100,000 in a limited partnership, hopefully you do your homework, your due diligence, you know what they're doing, and you you write the check and you'll begin getting reports quarterly or monthly or what have you. But the value of that portfolio, you'll never know whether it's changing, going up, down, or otherwise, unless you hear from the sponsor. So REITs don't change their company value on a daily basis like their stocks do. You know, I've invested in REITs for many, many years. My position is to be a to be an advocate, to be a good REIT investor, you should buy into these companies for a fairly reasonable time frame. Give them three years, give them five years, give them more. But most of them pay a very healthy dividend. I think the average dividend per name REIT is around 3.4% right now. And they have a lot of upside. Uh, not all of them, but you got to pick wisely. So the misperception net-net is that the values of the companies change daily uh, because their stocks go up and down, but that's just not the case. So more broadly, how would you describe conditions in the REIT industry today? Two things. One, uh, as I mentioned, we had the traditional sectors back in, in the 90s uh, that everybody pointed to, office, retail, multifamily apartments, hotels, et cetera. So we had about five or six sectors back then. Today, I think we've got 15 or 16 sectors. The new sectors include data centers, uh, industrial assets that are now logistics centers. We have a company called American Tower, which is, um, I think, the largest uh, REIT by equity capitalization, and they own cell towers all around the world. So we've got a potpourri of investments to choose from. So you can drill down further and look at the sectors, then you can look at the sizes, then you can look at the the data points. The new economy REITs, as coined by uh, Green Street, happen to include the tower uh, REITs, the uh, single-family rental REITs, and the data center REITs, the logistics REITs. Those have been performing extremely well. They've been attracting a lot of capital, and their stocks are up. They're raising capital constantly. There's a company called Vici that uh, just bought the MGM Grand and another major uh, casino in Las Vegas. Their entire portfolio is diversified. It's not solely Las Vegas, but they're buying large casinos around the country and they are raising enormous amounts of capital. Counterintuitively, the traditional REITs are not seeing their stock price rise accordingly. There's the whole COVID question continues to loom large in those sectors. I personally think the the saying, quote, this too shall pass, unquote, will come to uh, fruition. It'll just take a period of time. So do I think some of these traditional REITs are undervalued? Absolutely. I worked for Boston Properties for several years. They own a 53 million square foot portfolio of the finest office buildings in the best urban locations around the country. And I truly believe that as things evolve out of COVID and people go back to work, that company stock will outperform. 
And ESG in all its facets is a big focus for REITs today. How would you assess progress by the industry in these areas? I've spent a lot of time talking to several key figures in the industry over the past six months. Uh, one of whom comes from a company called ABP, which is the largest pension fund in the Netherlands and certainly throughout Europe. And what she tells me is that ESG has always been a key underwriting element for their fund to invest in any given company, not just real estate, but any given corporation. And what has evolved is that Europe has been way, way, way ahead of the curve in understanding ESG, benchmarking ESG, and making that a decision point as to whether they put capital into a company or not. Now, the U.S. is picking up on that rapidly. You can see news releases of senior executives hired solely for the ESG platform at major firms, Elizabeth Lewis at Blackstone and others, and they're taking the bull by the horns, and they're going to make it happen. It's just going to take some time. Now, again, I come from the old, old days, and a lot of these companies, as large as they are today, were founded by one or maybe two guys. And they went about developing one building at a time and making it the most efficient property they can make it, make it the most attractive property for their tenants, you know, try to retain tenants long term. So ESG was never in their mindset because investors were seeking return and safety. So these companies started small, ended up with a sizable portfolio, decided to create a real estate investment trust and go public. So the notion of environmental, social, and governance was not at the top of the list, but it is now. And there's more than a handful of public REITs that have gravitated toward all three elements of E, S, and G. And they're working really hard to comply with what investors want and to make their company as ESG compliant as possible and quickly. Uh, if you go to some of their websites, you'll find the ESG report. And I encourage listeners to you know, check out companies they may own and look for the ESG report and read it. So it's been a slow evolution to the starting blocks, but the gun's gone off and I ran track in the old days and the runners are out of the blocks. And given American ingenuity, you know, America's go-go attitude, I think will rise very quickly uh, in the ESG spectrum. And finally, Jonathan, what's most exciting about the re-industry today and how do you see it evolving over the longer term? What's most exciting to me is that this industry has legs and we've gone through many cycles over the years. Um, we've gone through the financial crisis. We've gone through, um, you know, we're going through COVID right now. We, we've gone through lots of downturns. But at the end of the day, the primary benchmark for most of these companies is the fact that they have low to moderate leverage. And when I say that, I mean well less than 40%, maybe well less than 35%. What created the havoc in the early 90s was the amount of debt developers took on to build their buildings. And when the music stopped and the tenants stopped coming, the debt was still there. And that's what uh, many developers uh, succumbed to was the over leverage. So these companies have modest leverage, they have professional management teams, and they have incredible access to equity capital. Uh, some of these stock prices will have to come up for the traditional sectors to access capital, what's called accretively, but I think that's going to happen. Now, the evolution of these new sectors, I think, is very exciting. You know, would I have ever thought that cell towers on top of buildings would become a REIT? 
what I've ever thought data centers uh, or logistic centers would become a REIT. We had no idea anyone would en masse rent a single family home. But now we have single family home REITs. And now these REITs are actually developing entire PEDs, planned unit developments, with hundreds of homes that are all going to be for rent. So the beat keeps going on. And I think the fundamentals are extremely sound for investors. So uh, again, this too shall pass. And I'm very excited to see what's around the corner. Excellent. John, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate everybody at NAREIT. I go way back with you guys. My first conference was 93. I think we had 400 people there. And today, I think the last in-person conference was close to 3,000. So that'll give you an indication of the enthusiasm in the sector. And you guys are great stewards of it. And Jonathan, one last thing before I let you go. Uh, for our listeners, if they're interested in REIT Academy, uh, what's the website address? Uh, www.reitacade my.com. And you can always find me on LinkedIn. If you got any particular questions, shoot me a, uh, an email through LinkedIn. And Sarah, I will also mention that the signups are coming in, but we're going to keep the class small. This is not a huge education platform. This is a very curated class. So I have found many prospective students would like to spend 30 minutes or even an hour talking to me about the details because you can read it on the page, but it comes to life when you actually speak to somebody. So I'm happy to chat with whomever would like to speak about it. Great. Thanks again, Jonathan. Appreciate Thank you. it.